Hey folks, attorney Andrew Branca here from Law of Self-Defense. I've already shared with you my lengthy, in-depth analysis of the recent pretrial hearing in the Kyle Rittenhouse case, the one that took place this past Monday, October 25th. But there were a couple of moments of that hearing that I thought worthy of special attention, especially for those of you who might not readily have the time to work through the full analysis. Incidentally, if you've already enjoyed the full analysis, you'll already have heard me discuss the issue we'll readdress here. Feel free to listen to this more focused version of my explanation as well. I suggest it's worth it, but it's not going to differ much substantively from what you're already heard from me on this issue. That said, this more focused format does allow me the luxury of blending the relevant video and audio from the hearing right into my commentary, which the more in-depth analysis didn't allow for, for purposes of time constraint. So let's get to Prosecutor Binger here and one of several of his remarkable arguments in last Monday's pretrial hearing for the Kyle Rittenhouse case, um, in an argument I thought worthy of particular emphasis. So we join the hearing at a point where there's an argument around whether evidence of the alleged rioting, looting, and arson activities of the men later shot by Kyle Rittenhouse, those men being Joseph Rosenbaum, Anthony Huber, and Gage Grosskreutz, whether evidence of their rioting, looting, arson activities can be admitted before the jury at trial. This evidence is being offered, of course, by the defense, which would love to have the foundation, the evidentiary foundation needed for them to refer to those three men as rioters, looters, and arsonists in front of the jury. The prosecutor, obviously, would prefer the jury never see this truthful evidence because he certainly doesn't want the jury to understand the three men shot by Kyle as having been rioters, looters, and arsonists for obvious reasons. Now, the focus at this point in the discussion really involves the video evidence of Joseph Rosenbaum in particular, committing acts of arson on the night in question. The defense wants to submit that video as evidence to the jury, and the prosecution is objecting rather forcefully. The prosecution's argument here is that the evidence should not be admissible because there's nothing to indicate that Kyle possessed knowledge of Rosenbaum's arson activities at the time he shot Rosenbaum. Now, such evidence might exist. I mean, Kyle might have been aware, but that evidence is not at least in the record. And in theory, Kyle could take the witness stand and provide such evidence and the form of his own testimony, but that would subject Kyle to cross-examination by the prosecution, which any defense attorney would prefer to avoid uh, subjecting his client to. So the defense is trying to get this evidence, video evidence of the arson in without there being evidence in the record of Kyle being aware of that arson activity. So for all practical purposes, because there is no evidence in the record of Kyle being aware of Rosenbaum's arson conduct, the prosecutor is correct to point out that lack of evidence in the record. Now, if there's no evidence in the record that Kyle knew of Rosenbaum's arson conduct at the time he shot Rosenbaum, prosecutor Binger argues, then that arson conduct couldn't have played a role in Kyle's self-defense decision-making. By extension, therefore, the arson conduct isn't relevant to Kyle's claim of self-defense. In other words, if Kyle didn't subjectively possess that knowledge at the time he shot Rosenbaum, it couldn't have any impact on his own state of mind at the time he shot Rosenbaum. And that's all true as far as it goes. 
Judge Schroeder, however, correctly notes and cites from Wisconsin Supreme Court case law to support his position that in a self-defense case such as this one, there is a second basis for the introduction of evidence other than it being relevant to the defendant's state of mind, and that is that it's relevant to the other party's state of mind, to Rosenbaum's state of mind. In particular, if the issue of who was the initial aggressor in the fight is in dispute, then evidence about specific acts of the other party may be relevant to the issue of whether it was Kyle Rittenhouse or whether it was Rosenbaum who was the initial aggressor. So, Judge Schroeder suggests evidence of arson by Rosenbaum would be relevant to the issue of initial aggressor, and therefore admissible for that purpose, even if Kyle Rittenhouse did not possess knowledge of that conduct by Rosenbaum at the time he shot Rosenbaum. So here's Judge Schroeder presenting that argument or position. It says, nevertheless, this is the court at uh, 81, uh, nevertheless, even if character or a trait of character is an essential element, the circuit court is endowed with the authority to exercise its discretion regarding admissibility. Um, so uh, what is the essential element that the defense is trying to prove here? Who was the aggressor? I think on that issue. Now, Prosecutor Binger's response to this argument from Judge Schroeder is, from this small town lawyer's perspective, nothing short of jaw-dropping. Prosecutor Binger argues that the issue of initial aggressor does not matter in this case because, at least in the context of Joseph Rosenbaum, we have an armed Kyle Rittenhouse shooting an unarmed Rosenbaum. And in Pro- Prosecutor Binger's rather unique view of the law, An armed man, according to Binger, can never be justified in shooting an unarmed man, even if it was the unarmed man who was the initial aggressor. Don't believe me? Let's hear it straight from Prosecutor Binger himself. I I disagree, Your Honor. I think think that's part of it, but um, we have an armed, a person armed with an AR-15 shooting an unarmed man. An unarmed man can't be an aggressor? I don't think it matters whether he is. I, I don't think you get to kill somebody with a gun when they're unarmed, even if they're the aggressor. I mean, let's think about a bar fight here, and we have a lot of bar fights in no, our let's community. Let's talk about a bar fight. This isn't a bar fight. This was a bar fight that the Supreme Court is talking about. Sure. Um, it's it, 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 not a bar fight. You, you've got an armed person shooting an unarmed person, you're right. That's That's the question. So in Prosecutor Binger's view, mistaken view, an armed man can never be justified in shooting an unarmed man as a matter of law, regardless of the surrounding circumstances. It doesn't matter what the other facts might be. There can be no facts that would justify an armed man shooting an unarmed man, period. To put it another way, Prosecutor Binger is arguing that Kyle could not, as a matter of law, been justified in shooting the unarmed Rosenbaum, and it doesn't matter what other facts exist. Now note that if this were true, and it's not, but if this were true, that the surrounding facts don't matter, then this is an issue that ought not even be submitted to a jury. After all, the jury is the finder of fact. That's their only job. If facts aren't to be considered, then the matter doesn't fall within the province of the jury. 
In this view of the law, a mistaken view of the law, once it is undisputed that an armed man has shot an unarmed man, self-defense is off the table, period, no matter what other facts might exist. Indeed, that's the very response of an incredulous Judge Schroeder to Prosecutor Binger's remarkable and remarkably mistaken view of use of force law. Here's Judge Schroeder's response. You've got an armed person shooting an unarmed person, Your Honor. Right. That's, that's the question. Does, does that mean it shouldn't it's, even go to the jury? I'll just take it away from him and tell him he's guilty? Of course, Binger's position is plainly idiotic. We all know, for example, that George Zimmerman shot an unarmed Trayvon Martin, justified that shooting in self-defense, and was acquitted by jury of all charges. Indeed, Zimmerman's shooting of Martin was as clean a case of self-defense as I've ever seen brought to trial, at least until this Rittenhouse case. The controlling legal issue here, correctly understood, is not whether one man is armed and the other not. The controlling legal issue is whether the armed man, admittedly using deadly defensive force, was using that force to stop a deadly force threat. That is, a threat readily capable of inflicting death or serious bodily injury. If he was, then the fact that the person he was defending himself against forgot to bring a gun to the gunfight is not the defender's problem. And serious bodily injury, or even death, can certainly be inflicted by fists and feet, in which case it represents a deadly force threat against which deadly defensive force, in the form of a gun, can be used with perfect legal justification despite the aggressor being unarmed. If an unarmed man, such as Joseph Rosenbaum, is attacking Kyle Rittenhouse and trying to seize possession of Kyle's rifle— particularly after having threatened earlier in the night to kill Kyle, that's clearly a use of force capable of inflicting death or serious bodily injury on Kyle, justifying Kyle's use of deadly defensive force in the form of his rifle in lawful self-defense. Just as when an unarmed Trayvon Martin is mounted atop George Zimmerman on a sidewalk and is viciously beating George's head into the cement, ground and pound style, as viscerally described by an actual eyewitness at trial, that's clearly a use of force capable of inflicting death or serious bodily injury, as medical experts testified at that trial, justifying George's use of deadly defensive force in the form of his Keltech pistol in lawful self-defense. Not only is the shooting of an unarmed man in either of those scenarios not forbidden as a matter of law, contrary to what Prosecutor Binger rather insanely argues in court to a trial judge, that shooting of an unarmed man under those circumstances is a perfectly proportionate and lawful use of force in self-defense. Exactly as the Zimmerman jury affirmed with their acquittal on all charges, and as the Rittenhouse jury, if they similarly base their verdict on the actual evidence of law, will also acquit on all charges. Yet here, poor Prosecutor Binger appears to not understand this core legal principle of use of force law. You know, just to make sure we heard it right, let's play his statement again. I, I disagree, Your Honor. I think, I think that's part of it, but um, we have a, an armed, a person armed with an AR-15 shooting an unarmed man. An unarmed man can't be an aggressor? I don't think it matters whether he is. I, I don't think you get to 
kill somebody with a gun when they're unarmed, even if they're the aggressor. I mean, let's think about a bar fight here, and we have a lot of bar fights in no, our let's community. Let's talk about a bar fight. This isn't a bar fight. This was a bar fight that the Supreme Court is talking about. Sure. Um, it's it, 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 not a bar fight. You, you've got an armed person shooting an unarmed person. You're right. That's that's the question. Yep. We heard it right. Prosecutor Binger, I regret to inform you that that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. And this guy, Binger, is the guy trying to railroad Kyle Rittenhouse into prison for the rest of his life for the offense, quote unquote, of successfully defending himself as a child against three grown men consisting of a multiply convicted child molester, a domestic abuser, and a gun law criminal who were attempting to inflict death or serious bodily injury upon Kyle. Contemptible. And I certainly hope that Judge Schroeder affords Kyle's defense team the opportunity to demonstrate to the jury just how contemptible this prosecution is so that this jury can promptly return in acquittal. Now, I have some other examples of notable moments of Prosecutor Binger's interesting views on use of force law from last Monday's hearings, but I'll present those separately to keep each of these pieces reasonably concise. So with that said, remember, folks, if you carry a gun so you're hard to kill, that's why I carry a gun, so I'm hard to kill, so my family is hard to kill, then you also owe it to yourself and your family to make sure you know the law so you're hard to convict. Until next time, I remain attorney Andrew Branca for Law of Self-Defense. Stay safe.